Jarring Cacophony tells you you're listening to the Power of Three podcast with three lifelong Doctor Who fans discuss, enthuse and occasionally criticise a trio of products related to our favourite show. Uh, and now to introduce my co-conspirators. Say hello, Davey. Hello, everyone. David here. Thanks for listening. Hello, Kenny. Hello, Tom. Hello, Dave. So, so the three adventures we're looking at today are all uh, opening adventures for classic and new series. Mm, that's a coincidence, yes, isn't it? it is what a coincidence. What's a new series being on on the telly, etc.? Yeah, is there a new series? Yeah, yeah. What's it like? It's all right. It's good. All right. I'm. I just. I'm just sitting here entranced by the by the lady with the bleach blonde hair, as usual. You know. Okay. Well, I've not seen it, but I'm sure it's great. Um, the first one we're going to look at is now. What was it like? I could not see clearly. It shone like. Like a fungus in the forest. Luminous. Do you think you could show me the spot? Yes. Yes, I think so. Good. Don't tell the others. We don't want to start a panic. What do you reckon be going on, mister? Well, when I find out, I'll let you know. I wouldn't try to find out. Taint wise. What do you mean? Reckon I know what you've seen. They always said the beast of Fang Rock would be back. The beast of Fang Rock. Aye. Horror of Fang Rock was the first serial of season 15 Stop of Doctor Who. <laughs> Not Ryan Pleasant. Graham Williams' three-year stint as producer of the series began with this story. It is the only time that the Rutten Host, the oft-mentioned mortal enemies of the Sontarans, have been depicted in a broadcast television story. Oft-mentioned? Twice. Yeah, Occasionally. Yeah, they could have mentioned uh, a wee bit more about this because... Pebble Mill and all that. I understand, I'll, I'll come back to you guys and know about this more than I will, but I understand it was quite a trouble production. And mm. I understand also Tom Baker was not a particular fan of Graham, Graham Williams. And he had, a, he had, I wouldn't say a difficult, but he had a less close relationship with Louise Jameson than he had had with... Uh, Elizabeth Sladen. And a lot of that's well known now but we can refer it to it, I suppose I, I once again you know I can't think of a Tom Baker story that I don't love and Baker himself is the star of this it's kind of an obvious thing to say but what I mean is this isn't about the root and this isn't about the lighthouse it's not about the horror of Fang Rock it's about Tom Baker as the doctor he is I, I noticed in something I read that you know, somebody has criticised him for, for saying that he, suggesting he's a bit uh, absent from this, he's a little bit above it. He's kind of doing his own thing while the rest of the cast are are, are doing the story, and he's slightly self detached, and perhaps that's because of his relationship with Graham Williams. But I I don't I didn't see that when I saw this. I and or when I rewatched it, I saw somebody at the very height of their their powers and and their role as the Doctor, just thoroughly enjoying himself and just taking the mickey out of all the other, not the actors, but the characters. He uh, has that detached, irreverent sort of thing throughout his first few years, though. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite, it's, it's, a, it's a definite sort of character. When he picks up the, the, the bowler hat, and as soon as he did that, I thought, ah, there's the, the cover I love. Cover. The yes. target cover. Yes. 1979, because I remember it was released, um, and 
and that was my first opportunity to meet a doctor and I, I, I was denied it because me and my pal Brem had gone up to, we'd been in holiday with the school, uh, to France with the school on a school trip and by the time we both got back we had quite a lot of spending money left over so the first thing we did was go up to, up to Glasgow, we bought Horror of Van Rock, I also bought a Trigon Empire book and we spent all the money we, we had, we got back to Beeth and looked in the press to see that Tom Baker was appearing the following Saturday at Buchanan Street, John Menzies. And I pleaded with my mum to give me money to go back up to meet him, and she wouldn't give me the money. Do you know who was in the queue that day? I'm guessing David Tennant. And? Kenny Smith? No. Oh, I should know this. Stephen Moffat. Moffat, And one other. Mr. Peacap. It was Peacap. Yeah, exactly. Blimey. So three doctors, three doctors in one place. That's two doctors, one showrunner. That's, well, amazing. Well, no, he said, I thought you said Tennant was in the, the queue. Yeah, three oh, doctors. Oh, I suppose, yeah, Stephen could talk. Yeah. Yeah. Timey wimey. Wibbly wobbly. It's yeah. a shame that... And let's, I missed an opportunity to be there. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's look back and ask you three could have been the doctor. To photograph together. Inevitably would have been the doctor, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I love this. I just think it's atmospheric. I think the special effects are great. It's remarkable that it's all studio-based and nobody would mistake it for mm. location filming, but it still feels authentic. And mm. I, yeah. I think Louise Jameson is brilliant. Mm. I just love her in mm. this. She's really funny. There's, there's a couple of lines where she just delivers them deadpan. The bit when, she, when she's referring to the, the, the survivors of the boat, she says, well, they'll all die then. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, matter and of fact. Very matter of fact yes. is a savage <clears throat> yes. uh, wood, and I, she was very funny. And at one point, when she's sounding the foghorn, she's laughing. And I don't know, I, I read some reference, I think it was in Running Through Corridors, that she actually thought she was perhaps rehearsing it or oh, really? filming it. I've never noticed that. Um, and, and there's three bits there's the one bit when she's laughing, another bit when she's getting impatient, and, and, and you know, she just showing a progression of her characters over a very short space, space of time. And she's very funny and, and, and she looks great when she's dressed in her, you know, the, the, jumper, the jumper yeah. and jeans and, and, and Adelaide, you know, Lady Adelaide, who's, who's very dismissive, very disapproving yes. of a lady wearing such garments. It's just, I love that. I love the interaction with all the characters. Mm. I think the other characters, when they come on board, when, you know, when they're, even the lighthouse keepers, there's a bit of amdram there. When there's, there's two men at one point sitting around a table, they are 18 inches away from each other and they are bellowing at each other <laughs> as if they're on stage. But aren't they perfectly cast? They are so also good in the roles. Yeah. You Maybe. just cannot imagine anybody the, else playing well, there, there, there. No, there, there's one thing I, I think they got slightly wrong. The young Vince, you oh, know, the, the apprentice, he's a good actor. But in real life, if you're an apprentice in a lighthouse, you'd be, what, 15, 14 maybe? Mm. You certainly wouldn't be in your late 20s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what's gone wrong with his career? <laughs> he's got to that age and he's an apprentice. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's a bit slow or whatever. No, it's, um, what I've got to say, really got to say about horror fan work is very similar to what I said before, you know, about Invasion of the Dinosaurs and, and um, Terror of the Zygons, and we talked about them, is that I remember the... I remember the um, <clears throat> we didn't actually have the book in a classroom at school, but I remember getting was I, I can't remember the name of the book club. You you got the sheet round. Tufty. No, it was it wasn't that. I'm sure it wasn't. The book you got the sheet round, which had the covers of oh, all the, the books. Was it? I can't. I can't. I can't, I can't remember. Puffing club. Was it? Right. It could be. But I remember very clearly 
the the horror fan rock novel being in it and one and you know because as you say Tom with the bowler hat and I remember I got you know it's one of these Dave Steele spectrum brain things that sticks in my head so I must have been if you're saying seventy nine I must have been primary one or primary two but I remember I remember seeing a book cover and remembering it from the telly it's one of the ones that I have the first really really clear memories of I remember Tom hanging outside I remember people the people coming in you know from the, from the shipwreck and you know and just really taking in the whole lighthouse it's in my top five Doctor Who stories of all time. It orbits between, it orbits with robots of death and sort of sharing sort of joint second place. There's there's nothing bad that I can say about it. It's it's one that I watch often, just as a, you know, in the same way that I wouldn't be listening to Rubber Soul or Revolver quite often. It's pretty. It's as you say, Tom. It's Tom. He's at the height of his powers. He knows exactly what he's doing. Louise, who I think is the the best regular actor ever to appear in Doctor Who, she knows exactly what she's doing. That lady, she's an absolute professional. And you know, it's as I as I often sort of say, it's a strong. What I like in a, a good Doctor Who story, it's a strong narrative situation with strong characters, and it's all there. There's the the infighting between you know the, um the Colonel and the other lad wanting to get back or or not because you know they want to make some money, and that just you know says a lot about you know the time that it was set and there's all the stuff about pro about the the line about um you know before before royal would have wanted a really big candle you know that sort of stuff colin douglas who was in the enemy of the world and gets that amazing cliffhanger he's tremendous as as ruben and as ruben the rutan and um yeah i i have nothing bad to say about this one at all i think it's a, a remarkable story considering that terence had to write it pretty much at short notice when the vampire mutations fell out of the way yeah and this we mentioned cliffhangers there Two of the most bizarre cliffhanger, or one of the worst and one of the best, two episodes apart. Episode one cliffhanger, the model ship crashes under rocks. Surely that should be your sting moment, but no. Just hang on there for another couple of minutes, or another few seconds to let the flare lights go up. Oh, but that's, I, think, no, I think that's brilliant. I just, I'm not a fan of that. I think it just, it goes on just a bit too long. No, it, you're wrong. At, at the time, it reminded me of the Indian line and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Because I used to see the, the start of the Indian line before I went to my bed. I always remember the music, you know, because it felt... Was the guy that played Ruben not in the Indian line? I don't know, Colin. Oh, there was a guy very, looked very similar. I might not be him. I haven't seen it since. Anyway, right, but the cliffhanger to episode three is... Um, I've made a terrible That's mistake. Right. I've, I've not locked it out. I've locked it in here exactly. with us. Yeah. And just think, what a brilliant cliffhanger. One of the best. I've, I've seen some people who were a bit critical of, of it recently. Um, well, so they're so, wrong. No, but, no, but I'll tell you, I'll see what I mean is, I don't mean a cliffhanger, I mean the fact that the Doctor was wrong to let it get as bad as it got. You know, he had his eye off the ball mm. because he thinks, you know, they don't question the fact that Ruben went up the, that Ruben went up the stairs and all that sort of stuff. It's it's um, it's, a, it's a, definitely a story that, you know, that 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 rewards sort of repeated sort of viewings because there's an awful lot going on. What's the second cliffhanger? I can't remember. It's just a, vis- a view of the routine of the lighthouse. It's really lame yeah. as well. Actually. Is it? Yeah. I can't remember the second cliffhanger. It's I think, all in all, I really, really enjoyed it. It's, one of my, again, one of my favourites. The cast are great. Tom and Louise, fantastic. You'd never know that they were barely speaking. And I think the direction was absolutely first class from Paddy Russell, considering it was all done on the hall, you know, in, in Birmingham rather than in London. Can I can I just interrupt you there, Tom? Um, very quickly. What's um what's pop star Robbie Williams' favourite Doctor Who story? I don't know what's pop star Robbie Williams' favourite Doctor Who um, story. Horror of Fang Rock DJ. <laughs> Brilliant! That's excellent. Well done. Can I just interrupt you there as well, Tom, from your laughter? <laughs> where where does the doctor take K9 for a walk? I don't know where does the doctor take K nine for a walk? Okay. The park in space. 
Before we go on to the next um, adventure, uh, a little plug because we're all very excited. Season 14 uh, of Glory Box Set has been been announced and it looks fantastic. Great trailer, great little funny advert with uh, Louise Jameson and our robots. And that contains my all time favourite. Doctor Adventure, the talons of Wang Chai. Yes. With a, with new special effects, because yes. oh, I admit, even I admit the, the, the rat in the original yeah. was, was a bit rubbish. Not all the time, actually. The rat was good okay, sometimes, but they've got new special effects. Yeah. And I just cannot wait. We'll have to review that yes, one. Yes, yes. Defos, Right, so enough about that. We'll talk about that when it comes out. Yes. Let's go on to our next uh, season opener. We are ready to begin. For hundreds of years, our sea devil brothers have lain entombed, waiting patiently for this day. It concerns me that they did not wake up as we had planned in the first place. Their enforced period of hibernation may have caused much muscular and organic degeneration. We shall soon see, Tarkok. Davy? Right, <clears throat> clears throat. Warriors of the Deep was the first serial of season 21 of Doctor Who. It marked the return of two enemy races last seen during John Pertwee's tenure as the third Doctor, the Silurians and the Sea Devils, who make their only televised appearance in the same story. Right, the Silurians and Sea Devils hadn't appeared in the series since Doctor Who and the Silurians and the Sea Devils, respectively. And how many times can I say Silurians and Sea Devils in one paragraph? And this story marks the final televised appearance of the latter species as of 2019. This story was beset with numerous production problems and even political considerations. Margaret Thatcher had called an election, which ended up being on June the 9th, 1983. It was my dog's birthday, which is why I remember it. And I saw the turn of the Jedi that day. When the production began, and the reference to two superpowers in the story would be seen as a reference to the Cold War. There were a number of continuity problems concerning Silurians and Sea Devils in the original script. Editing removed many, but some remained in production. And I've got a lot to say about that, but we'll come to that. So, yes... Well, 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 well. What can we say about Warriors of the Deep? This was the first series that I watched all the way through properly as a fan. Um, others I'd missed here in episodes here and there, or in the case of like Argo Infinity, I'd missed the very start, but I, this is one that I'd followed and was so excited for this coming back, having seen the preview in the Radio Times special, the 20th anniversary one. And then lo and behold, what do we get? Brightly lit rubbish monsters. It's pretty much sums up what the public think of Doctor Who. Daft looking monsters with silly voices, with ridiculous plans, over bright, it's just too brightly lit. The characters are pretty much cliched. There's very little of interest for the regulars to do. I think that uh, Davison, um, Mark Strickson and Janet Fielding are doing their best with some very lame material. You've got, they might, I mean, I don't know why they bothered to make them Silurians and Sea Devils. Really, you could have called them the Zrags and the Zrebos and nobody could have cared less. Um, they're just particularly dull. Um, the fact that, you know, Silurians previously an interesting race with uh, the third eye, and here it just becomes an indicator as to which one of them is talking. Um, and the Sea Devils, generic warriors. I, mean, I think that the plan was to make them look like Japanese samurai warriors, 
and instead they just look stupid the fact that their skin tones match their outfits and it's often quite hard at times to discern what they're actually doing. Um, in terms of the actual blocks, North v South block, I think it becomes in the novelization by Uncle Terence. I um, you know, I really enjoyed it this time. I think I think the reason there's an obvious reason that they do that that certain certain elements of the set are as bright the light as they are. So they, when they do the missile run, that they can dull the lights down and bring up the red and, and all that. I don't I, some you know some of the corridor scenes that aren't too too bad. It's the thing that the thing that really struck me watching it this time was um, it kind of kicks in towards the end of his first season. Um, at this point, the amount of characterization that they're given the Doctor is Joe exposition. He's practically apparently everything that the Doctor gets to see at this point is just he's explaining what's going on. His hair looks terrific. He's had a he's had a he's had a short back and sides for the 1983 old creatures great and small um Christmas special, which is quite funny. Um, and it's I think by this point this story is kind of um it's the first of two stories in season twenty one when they're trying to repeat the success of Earthshock, which is you know. As far, as far as they're concerned, they're trying to do a, a high-paced sort of, you know, high-octane thriller with a returning monster. But at this point, it's also really, I think, when the tale starts to wag the dog as far as sort of Doctor Who continuity and mm. references to the past. You know, I was watching the, the documentary on the DVD at the same time as I watched the story. Um, and, you know, there's all this stuff about Ian Levine noticing continuity references and setting the script back. And, and you just sort of think, you know... I wish I could have been there just to tell Ian Levine to show you know the re the reason there were probably continuity references that causing problems in the script is because they were making continuity the 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 first and foremost focus when they were coming up with the story, which is I always think is not really the way to start with a Doctor Who story. If you're if you the first priority of your story is you're trying to do a sequel to something that was broadcast fifteen years earlier. And I think, you know, the, the wiki entry make, makes, you know, a reference to continuity problems. And I th I think I've never sat down and worked it out, but I think a lot of what the Fifth Doctor says to the Silurian leader in the final episode, I don't think that actually covers exactly what happens in the Silurians and the Sea Devils, but that which actually led, you know, to, to being dealt with elsewhere. There's a story in, in one of the Marvel Doctor Who yearbooks, and then Gary Russell wrote a really convoluted um, missing adventure, which I think is called Scales of Injustice. Um, I don't know, is that right? Yeah, Scales of Injustice, yeah. And it's um, it's one of these things, you know, I I don't my first priority with the Doctor Who story is not how it ties into another no. one, but I I can't I, I honestly say I was surprised I've, I've been saying this a lot recently that um, watching in isolation I was surprised that I actually really enjoyed this one it's um, there's some there is some good dialogue, there are some enjoyable hammy performances to watch the thing that always gets me is just how stoic the commander is in the last episode when everything's going to to, to I want to see shit everyone's going to, to to rubbish all around them and it's like you know. You'll get no help from me, Silurian. He's fantastic. And, he, and it's so sad that he gets shot. Because, and, and Turlow has that line when he says, they're all dead, you know. And, and PD gets a close-up and he's got his you know, electric, electric burn, the brilliant sort of makeup around his eyes because he's had to sync up with the computer. And it's like, you know, there should have been another way, which is really, really good. And, but then, of course, all people always talk about the, the hexachromite gas getting flagged up in the first one and how they use it. It's... it's um. It's one that really highlights, I think, the flaws of Eric's Eric Seward, the Eric Seward and Ginty approach, which is that you know, it's a lot of what people are saying isn't really believe they're not really believable as real humans. Okay. You know? and also it's quite a violent story as well. Yeah, the fact you've got the yeah. doctor kicking a guy in the throat virtually, yeah, and then later on obviously he's turning the the ray on that gets uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he builds a big gun basically to to get rid of the mayor. It's yeah. it has a lot of you know as I mentioned that it's basically trying to be make us shock, and they do it again a few stories later with the resurrection of the Daleks. You know, get an old monster, let's have lots of running about, and you know, and and over the top dialogue and and stuff. What do you think of it, Tom? Um, largely pants. <laughs> um, I agree with you about the obsession with continuity. Doctor has been running for more than fifty years. Therefore, it is impossible to have continuity. So, so this idea that you can write a novel or an audio adventure and tie up loose ends, stop wasting your time. Since it's not going to happen, then don't even try it. It's just a ridiculous obsession to have. <laughs> yep. um, I liked a lot of the... I, I agree with you, there's some great actors in it. Tom Adams, who was in the Uneaton line. Right. Uh, and that's how I knew him right, when, okay. I, when I saw him in this. He was also mooted as a possible James Bond at one point. Well, you can, can see it, and you can see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he ended up playing Charles Vine of the Secret Intelligence Service, and it was a, a, a planned three uh, stories, three movies featuring him as Charles Vine, which would rival James Bond. What's the first one called? That's oh, pretty in the spot here as you're trying. No, I, I can't remember now, but but. The second one was supposed to have been called something like the second best secret agent in the world. <laughs> and it was, by that time, they decided it was, it was going to be just taking the mickey out of James Bond, but actually, they never made any of the sequels. Right. They only made the, right. okay. the original one. Yeah. Um, Ingrid Pitt, of course. I, mean, cool, I, yeah. I was brought up loving uh, Hammer Horror movies, mm-hmm. and Ingrid Pitt was a huge part of that. You know, She was in The Wicker Man, The Vampire Lovers, Countess Dracula. What's the one which is in the bath? She stands up in the bath. That's Countess Dracula. She, yeah. she, she bathes yes. in the, the blood Four. of virgins. <laughs> so that's why I wish they said in Scotland. Exactly. Hey. <laughs> Ingrid Pitt's novelty talents are very Cockney different. rhyming slang. More, I was about to refer to her jiu-jitsu skills with the murka, but uh, oh, Yeah, this is what I wanted to mention. I mean, I even remember when it was first broadcast, just watching that through my fingers. The jiu-jitsu against the murka. I mean... First of all, it's a pantomime horse, clearly. Well, it's played by the same guys from Rent-A-Ghost. Yes, indeed. So it says it all, that. Yeah. How she was able, with any pride, to perform that and then still walk out mm. and, and, and take up other acting roles, I have no yeah. idea. It was awful. Yeah. Just awful. Yeah. So it's not my favourite. It's, uh, it's one of those stories when you can tell there's an awful lot going wrong with it, but you can tell that none of the, that there's still quite a lot of people who are trying their very best. No one, I think, would, would want to make a, a bad story. There's, yeah. there's, you can tell that you know they lost all the preparation time because of the election. But, um, and, you know, it's, there's, there's, there's some, I think there is some good stuff in it. I mean, there's some stupid mistakes. You know, getting the Silurians' uh, third eye to light up when they speak as if they're a Dalek. Yeah. I mean, what was the point of that? that yeah, that and, yeah, and they, they remove the whole hypno yeah. effect, which could have been, they could have used during the story. Might, but my favourite bit is when the Silurians refer to their own undersea cousins as the Sea Devils. Yes. So did they watch the Doctor Who <laughs> series so they know that that's what humans called them? They must have done. They must have been able to get some transmissions. I'm surprised they didn't start referring to each other as the Silurians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, and it's been, I think it's, is it maybe one of the novelizations or even the Sea Devil story? It's the Sea Devil story, isn't it? When yes. When John Zay has a line which says that properly speaking, they That's should have right. been called Eocene. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, Which is know, another one of the a silly, pointless nod to continuity. Yeah. Just, it's made up, yeah. mate. It just doesn't the, matter. The priority should never be trying to tie it up with everyone else. Mm-hmm. But I'll say this, I think, Warriors of the Deep, it's, it's more entertaining and more satisfying a watch than um, the Matt Smith Silurian stories. I'll say that. Mm. 
It's funny how you actually you mentioned scales of injustice because at the moment I'm actually listening to the talking book of that in the car. All right, who's, yeah. who reads it? It is Dan Starkey who's doing it. And it's right, okay. very, very good voices. Good, interesting. Well, um, on to the third and last of our season openers. And how does that in any way explain why you keep coming to my lectures? Yeah, it doesn't really, does it? I was hoping something would develop. What's that? A police telephone box? Yeah. Did you build it from a kit? No, it came like that. Then how did you get it in here? The door's too small, and so were the windows. I had the window and a part of the wall taken out, and it was lifted in. What, with a crane? Yeah, with a, a crane. It's heavier than it looks. Why do you keep coming to my lectures? Because I like them. Everybody likes them. They're amazing. Why me? Why you, Wally? Well, plenty of people come to your lectures that aren't supposed to. Why pick on me? Well, I noticed you. Yeah, but why? Well, most people, when they don't understand something, they frown. You smile. I'll tell you what I don't understand. You've been lecturing here for a long time. Like 50 years, some people say. The bee light in the office says over 70. Yeah, and you're thinking, well, he doesn't look old enough. No, I'm wondering what you're supposed to be lecturing on. Like, it's like the university let you do whatever you like. One time, you were going to give a lecture on quantum physics. You talked about poetry. Poetry, physics, same thing. How is it the same? Because of the rhymes. What are you doing at this university? The pilot was the first episode of series 10 of Doctor Who. According to Stephen Moffat in a video introduction, series 10 sorts of begins the show again. It introduces everything you need to know about Doctor Who and tips you into the universe. Indeed, through Bill's eyes, new viewers are introduced again to the character of the Doctor, his TARDIS, his enemies, the Daleks, and his versatile tool, the Sonic Screwdriver, much like they did through Ian and Barbara in the original 1963 introduction, An Unearthly Child, and Rose Tyler in Series 1's 2005 pilot, Rose. The pilot also marked the first on-screen depiction of Movellan since their debut in Destiny mm. of the Daleks in 1979, when Frank and the rest of us had hoped to forget all about them. The episode introduces St. Luke's University, where the Doctor apparently has been lecturing for over 50 years, and begins a plot thread surrounding what he and Nardole are hiding in a vault beneath the campus. First thing first, though, Nardole, you pronounced it correctly, Nardole, the way that Carpaldi says it. Okay, thanks. I thought we did. No, it's, no, it's just it was, some people say Nardole, but... All right, Nardole. Okay. Oh, I you got the intonation correct. Nardole, well, yeah, I wonder, wonder about that, right. Okay. Um, Sorry. Now, that's cool. Right, so everyone knows I'm not a fan of the Stephen Moffat method. Everyone knows I'm not a fan of the vast majority of his era. Everyone knows that I'm not the biggest fan of the first couple of Capaldi episodes, the first Capaldi series, I should say. But um, I love the pilot, and I love series 10. This, you know, I kind of had... As close to giving up on watching the TV series as, as I had ever been during the points of the previous couple of series, this was this was um, this was a revelation to me. It seemed like Moffat had just decided he was going out on a high. He ditched everything that um that used to make my skin crawl, and um the focus was was back was back on, on on a character who was recognisably just another human being and not you know at this point anyway not a big sort of complicated convoluted sort of time and space event i loved the fact that it was basically um an inversion of an earthly child and i remember a tweet i posted at the time got a bit of traction and had some legs and i kept getting notifications a few days when what instead of some teachers being concerned about and interesting with other pupils you had someone who worked at the university 
um, or you know, a step, you know, potentially a student, um, you know, becoming interested about a member of the faculty, and I just thought it was it was genius. It was you know, I wish we could have had that for the whole of Capaldi's run. I wish we could have five, ten years of, of him and Mark Lucas at the university. Um, it was a brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant reintroduction. As Tom says in, in his the wiki entry there, you know, we reintroduced to the Doctor, we introduced the TARDIS, you know, is it a kitchen? Which is amazing. The little jaunt around Europe to Australia. We meet the Daleks briefly. Um, inspired one of my best Radio Times profile picture covers. Um, it was, it's a really, really good story. And it's, um, I can't tell you the absolute, it's what, five years ago nearly now, is it? Four years, three years? When was this? 2017, was it? 2017. Yeah, three years. I can't tell you the relief I felt watching this. It was just like um, I can I felt like I could enjoy watching it again, and um, I and one of my catchphrases here, I very I can't think of anything negative to say about it. Even you know the fact that the guitars in it briefly doesn't really bother me, because the rest of it's so good. I well as uh, has been known in previous podcasts, I'm an out and proud lover of Peter Capaldi. Um, I particularly love this story, and the start of um, one of the best seasons of. Um, the 21st century series. Um, I think Capaldi's absolutely on form. He's able to turn on the charm in a way that perhaps he hasn't been allowed to before when he's, he's been slightly more spiky and uh, he's got a different form of wit. He feels more like Peter Capaldi than the Doctor in places with that humour and the warmth that he has. Uh, a lot of affection for Bill straight away when he sees something in her and he thinks, yeah, there's something, let's, let's run with this. Um, particularly Matt Lucas as Nordol is just wonderful. I think the dynamic between them almost like a, a Jeeves and Wooster sort of um, there's that kind of friendship and teasing and the banter between them is great. And when we get to see that opening shot of building into the TARDIS is perhaps one of the best shots we've ever had to introduce the TARDIS to us ever. As it starts in darkness, the lights yep. come on and the, and, the, and the camera pulls back and we get to see that glorious console room for all its wonder and splendour. I just wish I'd gone to visit it. Um, it just is an incredible. I think the pace of the story is good. It's not, again, in many ways, it's like Rose. It's not the most complex story in the world. It's pretty much sets up the basics for what's to come. And as I said, I think it was Mark Gatiss who suggested calling it the pilot, as it does in many ways feel like a pilot for a brand new yeah, series. It's, it's almost like, it's, I think it's the closest, it's, I think it's the closest, especially since maybe even maybe even more so than the 11th hour. It's, it's almost as much as a, a sort of in-series reboot as we've had. I did enjoy it. My only... Well, first of all, I mean, you, you were talking about uh, Capaldi, whether he's playing himself or the Doctor. The, the, the great thing, whatever Davy says wrongly about Stephen <laughs> Moffat, uh, is that when he was in charge... I mean, and Russell did this as well, but when Moffat was in charge, his casting of the Doctor was was genius on, on both occasions. Oh yeah, I, and, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dispute that. And, and I think that in every single episode that, that Moffat actually was in charge of, either Smith or Capaldi were hypnotic. Every, it doesn't matter if, if what the writing was like, what the plot was like, every time they spoke and every time they, they said anything, they, they just were magnetic and you just wanted, they dominated every single adventure. And I, they did it in a way that I've just not seen with any other drama, I don't just mean Doctor Who. Capaldi was, I think, genius casting anyway, and so was Smith. But every single thing he says, I just love. I love the way he says it, the way he delivers it. I love the writing. 
Um, and, and, and I think that's true even in the weaker episodes. And what I was going to say about this particular season is I think there are a lot of weak episodes in this season. It's my least favourite of, right. of the new Who. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Interesting. I, I think there were, there were some really pr- pretty weak episodes that I, I, mean, I, I remember really didn't enjoy. I remember not really caring too much for the, the monks sort of arc in the middle. I thought that was okay. I, 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 the one with, uh, but that that was simple. I didn't like the idea of the doctor being president, the author, or whatever it was. You know? The one, one of the the Roman centurions, I thought was was. Bit he threw light. Yeah. No, I liked that one. Sorry. Uh, and one row again, of course. I know, and one with the snake, uh, going through London, you know, in the Thames. Okay, no, Finance. I liked that. I liked that a lot. Um, but but having said all that, the pilot I think is this is one of the strongest. It's just fantastic. Um. I, now I must admit I I never took to Bill, right? Uh, I I just never, I didn't see her as as, as an, an attractive. I don't mean attractive attractive. I just didn't see her as a as magnetic personality in the same way that previous companions had been. She's so she's okay, but I, I you know I I would have been happily watched it if it had just been Nardole and and the Doctor. I I like Bill. I mean um I was so irritated by Clara after a while that you know Bill was like a fresh, breath of fresh air, and I remember. When they show the little trailer at the end of the the final story, that says you know plugging the, the the Christmas special that was coming. When they sh- they revealed that Pearl Mackey was in it, I was delighted because you know she'd you know as far as you know she'd been written out at the end of um the Doctor Falls. So I liked her a lot. Um, it's um it's a shame that she's not really done too much that we've seen since. But you know well, she did a really good episode of Room One Hundred One. Right. Yeah. That's sort of Stephen Moffat. Indeed, it was it was a great episode. Didn't um, he put Scotland in it? In room one one. I think he did. <laughs> that's why he's that's why so echoey in here. Uh, I, th- I think the other thing worth mentioning is um, I think that Stephanie Hyam playing Heather is fantastic. Yeah. She doesn't get so yeah. much, but it's just the looks in her face. I think it's very yeah. a very subtle performance. Very, it's tragic. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's I. I'm, yeah. And I, I do also quite like the fact that we've got Bill and Heather together, which of course, as in William Hartnell and his wife was Heather. So oh, Bill that's and right. Heather. Which I thought was a lovely touch. Excruciating. No. <laughs> Clang. No, no, no that was good. That's a bit like uh, human nature when the doctor says his parents were. Yeah, that that climbed a bit for me too. Uh, am I too cynical with these yes, things? Yes, you are. You are far too cynical to be a doctor fan. Um, no, it's, it's, it's I'm, I'm I'm generally I'm struck with the saying it's your your least favorite series of the because it's probably it's I think it's actually my favorite of the series that Moffat was responsible for mm-hmm. because a lot a lot, again a lot of the superficial surface stuff that had irritated me with these other series was gone and it was um. And mainly, it was just it was three regulars. It was an absolute pleasure to watch. It really was. I, I'm looking forward to doing some more of their episodes. Hopefully, Absolutely. fairly soon. So yeah, we did we all watch Four from the? Or sorry, not Four from the Future. Friends from the Future. Well, yeah, well, well, that was the thing. That was the, that was the little trailer that was sort of shown. It was was it shown during a football match yeah, or something? Sort of to as a preemptive because was it, there was a gap here, wasn't there? Yeah, they showed it. I remember that really irritating me because because it had Bill sort of talking about you know. Why has it got a sink plunge on the neck whisk? And there was an awful lot of discussion amongst the, the Who Twitterati sort of saying, how, is, how are we supposed to take a character seriously if it doesn't take the Dalek seriously? And they cut those lines out mm. from the, the broadcast episode, which really, which really, you know, was a great sort of sense of relief for me as well. I remember going into it sort of thinking, oh God, we're going to have that. But no, it was, it was great. It was, um, yeah, I can't emphasise enough how much fun it was watching it again. Yeah, I watched it last night because I wanted to keep it fresh. And yeah. I, I, I just love it. Any excuse to watch Capaldi works for me. That's us for this week. We'll be back, uh, hopefully, in the very near future with another three things that we will talk about. So for now, 
just please remember to uh, follow us on Twitter at Power of Three Pod. That's three as a number, and visit our Facebook page where you can uh, leave comments and listen to previous episodes. So from me, Tom, it's cheerio for now. David. Yep. Goodbye, everyone. Look after yourselves. And for me, Kenny, there should have been another way. Thank you.